I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. Tonight is going to be a tough program. It's going to be hard on you. It was hard on me because it's going to cause you to reflect. Ours is a schizophrenic faith. It can be, at least. We say God is in control of everything, and then we condemn each other for our choices. We say we are saved by grace, and we cannot lose our salvation, but judge each other by our works of righteousness or the evil that we do. We say the Bible is inerrant, and it's all that we need, but we disagree on many of the things it says. We say God is love, and that He created and condemned people to eternal flames before they were even born. We say that the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers, but demand people listen to men over listening to it. Tonight is a special program on freedom, and we're going to begin with a prayer from Derek Webster, the man who, with his wife, Danita, Kathy Maggie, Merle, Seth, Linda Cassidy, Wendy Jensen, Danny, Jed, and many others now growing, help keep the ministry going. Derek. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we come to you at this time, and uh, we ask that you be with us, and we ask that you be with Sean, and that uh, he speak the truth. Uh, that the ears of this state and this country and this world need to hear, Lord. Uh, we lift up those that are caught up in addiction, Lord. We lift those up, those up to you, uh, that you may heal them and that you may have them walk in your will, Lord. Uh, we lift up those that are bound by religiosity and uh, those that are bound by a lot of different religions, Lord. Please uh, drop the sh scales from their eyes, Lord. Drop the shackles from what bounds, binds them, Lord. And uh, Again, we lift them up and we praise your name always, Lord. Uh, thank you for the gift of your son and the gift of eternal life. And Lord, these things we pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Hanging on the wall of our church studio, Derek was just standing in front of it as a sign that has been with us from the start. It says, Campus Freedom in Christ. The subject of freedom is a difficult one because in the face of human nature, what we call freedom and liberty is very paradoxical. Out in the world, there are ugly taskmasters that are chomping at the bit to make us their slave. They can come in the form of something as innocuous as what we eat or drink to our parents or our families, the materials we read, the things we study, arts, athletics, 
entertainment, substances we abuse, idols we adore, intellectualism, occupations, materialism, ideologies, philosophies, isms, ists, political and military affinities, and religions of every kind. The love of money makes the decisions for many of us, as do many of the things that appeal to our flesh. Even seemingly good and virtuous things like social and civic groups or action committees, all of these things have the ability, and some of them actually seek to capture first our ears and eyes and minds and hands of the people with the ultimate goal of some of them to imprison us to their agenda. The question I want you to ask yourself tonight, it's radical, it's frightening. Do you want to be set free from what holds you captive? Do you want to be set free from what holds you captive? Think long and hard before you reply because generally speaking, we remain captive to things because it's exactly what we want. We're, and, and we want them because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't have them. We want them because we're too lazy to embrace a new system or thought or food or, or, or substance. Or we want them because we enjoy the benefits that our captors give us and we fear what life will be like without them. Again, in the end, and in most cases, we are the ones responsible for allowing whatever holds us captive and put us in chains and make us slaves. We're responsible. And again, we've done this because we've been too fearful of what will happen if we try to escape, or we've been too lazy to resist its promises and replace them with new captors, or because we appreciate what our captors supply us with and we don't want to forfeit those benefits because we derive something from being slaves to it. Let me give you some examples. I have, have been and probably will again be captive to unhealthy foods. Especially for me, it's Mexican food. I choose to eat chips and salsa over celery and carrots because I don't want to face the pain of cutting chips and salsa out of my diet. I'm too lazy to replace them with something else and I enjoy the pleasure chips and salsa provide me over almost all other foods. So I eat unhealthy amounts of chips and salsa and I allow myself to be somewhat a prisoner to them. The same principles apply to, let's say, overeating, which I'll do too. I'm too lazy to refrain and I'm too focused on myself and my pleasures to stop. I fear the pain of having to control myself, so again I give in and I overindulge. Anyone in their right mind would have to agree that I am responsible for what I take into my mouth and what I overindulge in. You will, almost anyone would agree with that. When we consider something like overeating junk foods, or really any foods, and the fears we are masking by indulging, we have a pretty good handle on the drivers behind why we allow ourselves to be captives to something as simple as 
corn tortillas deep fried in oil and served with salsa. In the end, listen, I am both responsible for the prison that holds me bound and listen closely. Here's the paradox. I am free to be liberated from what I have allowed to hold me captive anytime I want. I don't need another person to disciple me on how to stop eating tortilla chips and salsa. I don't need someone to beat me up and discipline me and I don't need a responsibility partner to call. I don't need any of those things. I am responsible for my tortilla prison. Almost any thinking person would have to agree with that. All we ha I have been talking about here is my prison of tortilla chips and salsa. Are these principles the same with other items that we imprison ourselves with in our lives? Oh, I know, I know. We could take the time and we could go back and we can cycle, analyze the drivers between why I have chosen this specific addiction. You know, the satisfaction of the crunch appeals to my oral fixations because I wasn't breastfed. Or the fact that I, that when I was a child, food became the only source of comfort in what I felt was an overly hostile environment. Or possibly that because of my proximity to Mexico and Mexican uh, foods, I developed this thing early in life. Whatever. We all have our demons. We all have our desires. But we are individually responsible if we let them imprison us or not. Now, I'm talking about this tonight because some people have intimated that subjective Christianity is a license for you to do what you want, to write your own rules, to, to create your own morality. We're going to talk about that. In the end, we are all free to choose. If I don't choose, it is because I get more mileage personally out of eating chips and salsa than not. And in the realm of eating, I have decided that nothing in the world can replace it. And I like it. And so I eat them. Allowing myself to remain, again, remain captive out of fear and laziness and the pleasure my crunchy little captors provide me. What, when would I abandon the chip and salsa fixation? When I decide I like or love something better or more. I will get rid of my desire for chips and salsa and my prison to them when I discover there is something I love better or more. I am convinced these principles apply no matter who or what holds us bound in our lives. I maintain that no matter who the captor, the captured have allowed themselves to be bound out of fear and laziness and the benefit they selfishly derive from being kept in chains, whatever those benefits are. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're just talking about chips and salsa here, right? Oh, no, we're talking about everything. I would suggest that if you are imprisoned in a relationship to credit card debt, to an attitude you have acquired against certain people types, a practice that we call habits, addiction, an occupation, a religion, you remain in those chains because you fear what life will look like without it. 
you're too lazy to replace it with something else and or you enjoy what that thing provides you too much to let it go. And get this, because of all of this, we are all, in the end, wholly and completely responsible for the content, the activities, the actions, the focus, the mindsets that we have allowed to develop and occur in our lives. We cannot escape that responsibility. Now, people do not want to hear this. You may be one of them. You want to claim an inability. You want to claim a genetic defect. You want to claim Satan has overcome you. You want to claim demonic uh, 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 infiltration. You want to claim that it's mommy and daddy's fault. They want to claim that their captors are far too powerful for them to escape their clutches and they are therefore relegated to an imprisoned sentence. They claim all these things. But we are responsible. And our abilities are there to choose. I'm not suggesting that freedom or change is easy, not by any stretch of the imagination. The terror that comes with emancipation, the utter emptiness we face without a captor telling us how to think and how to be and how to live and what to do, can be so overwhelming many people would rather spend their lives indentured to something or sub-substance or some religion, then face freedom alone. Nevertheless, admitting this does not erase the fact that we're responsible for what we have individually allowed to hold us bound, no matter what it is. Because we have freely allowed our captors to take us captive, all of us are, in the face of these ugly truths, condemned to be free, is what Jean-Paul Sartre said. We are condemned to be free, meaning we are all responsible for remaining bound or escaping our captors all the time, every minute of every day. Now things are going to start to get more complicated. The irony, the fact of the matter is, however, that whenever we escape one prison, we will always, always always move into another one. Always into another prison that we choose to allow to hold us captive. So paradoxically, while we are all condemned to be free because we are all responsible for allowing ourselves to be held captive by whatever fills that role, we are all going to continue to be captive to something or someone thereafter. As long as there is existence, there is captivity. No getting around this. I'll argue it to the, to the death. The only way to escape being captive to someone or something and the simultaneous condemnation we experience for allowing ourselves to be taken prisoner is total annihilation. You have to be completely obliterated in order to escape from being in a prison to something or someone. Captive to something or someone and simultaneously condemned as, as we allow ourselves to remain captive to that thing. It's a brutal existential 
difficulty that we face. These facts absolutely rewrite the ideas of liberty and freedom, imprisonment and bondage, especially in the Christian world. I speak a lot about being personally free and liberty. I talk a lot about refusing to be captive to any institution of any kind, corporate, man-based, especially religious. I demand to be free from the confines of any such contraptions or contrivances by man, but do not mistake my continued resistance against those things with a claim of absolute freedom. That's a lie. I am not free. I am completely captive. I am in bonds. I am in chains. I am bound and captive and imprisoned not only to lesser things like lusty thoughts, uh, occasional want for violence, and of course the tortilla chip, among other things, but I am a willing slave to Jesus Christ. I am captive and captured, bondservant in chains, to Christ Jesus. I'm not alone in that. Read Paul. I am bound by him willingly, by choice. Every single day of my life, I am condemned to be free as I choose to remain his prisoner or slave or go elsewhere. Every single day, that's the situation. And every moment of every day, I have the freedom to escape the chains I have allowed myself to be held in, in his name and cause, and to leave and be imprisoned by a lesser God, you see. So in the discussion of freedom and liberty, we have to first admit that existing beings, we will be prisoners to something. Like Bob Dylan sang years ago, you got to serve somebody. We're going to. But we also have to admit that we are all responsible for what we allow to enslave us, whom we serve. And this admittance, while avoided when we're in this world, will always and ultimately have to be confessed to God. We will stand before him and admit, I did not allow myself to be a prisoner to you. I was a prisoner to this, 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 and this but not you. Or, I was a prisoner to you, and as such, you are my master, I was your slave. In other words, hear me clearly, there will be no getting around that we allowed other gods to consume our time and lives and devotions when we stand before God. To me, that's going to be part of the judgment. If not the judgment alone, we are solely responsible for our choices in time. Whether those choices are constructive or destructive, self-serving or selfless, we have all had the freedom to choose our captors. This is the side to uh, subjective Christianity. It is not the promotion of licentiousness, do what you want. It's accepting the fact that we are all answerable to God not to men, not to religion, not to government, to God, and we take that very, very, very seriously. We say, I am your slave. I will not answer to men and their ideas. I will answer to the Holy Spirit that is in me, and I will stand before you for the choices I made. That is Christian subjectivity. In other words, hear me clearly, we won't get out of it. We are solely responsible for our choices. We're funny creatures, us human beings. We desire the idea of freedom. 
while simultaneously wanting something outside of us to overtake us so we can put our responsibility upon them or that. In the gap between these two places of wanting freedom and wanting to give up our responsibility, we come up with all sorts of miniature gods that we, uh, we throw ourselves to and let them rule us. And we let them make our choices so we can escape that angst that comes between wanting to be free and wanting to not have responsibility. For some, it's food like me, it's pot, it's a hit of acid, it's alcohol, it's sex. Some substances certainly allow us moments of apparent liberty. We escape into oblivion and think ourselves free along with the built-in escape of responsibility, but in reality, we will always come full, cir full circle when the effects wear off, and we're then once again faced with our freedom and our desire to escape responsibility for that freedom. Admittedly, in the realm of the flesh, such things like uh, substances go a long way in providing some solace, which is why they're so readily abused. In some ways, this may be why such things become our idols. We worship and give them all of our time and a devotion and our attention and we think about them in the quiet moments and we try to, we're constantly thinking of escaping to them because they serve us. You understand that? They serve us. It's not worth thinking about how can we serve others? How can we serve God? We think of what can we find out there to serve me? You see, and that is the problem with the whole thing. It's idol worship, essentially. But in addition to these fleshly appeals come the cerebral chains. We deal with them all the time with people coming out of institutionalized religions like the LDS and other Christian denominations where the institutions have such chains on the head and heart of people, the isms, the is, the philosophies, which in many ways are far more binding and restrictive on the soul than substances in the flesh because they bind the mind and they bind the heart of men and produce side effects that do not appear deleterious in this world, but are actually devastating to the soul of the human being. Shooting heroin or overindulging in Mexican food has its obvious outward appearances. You get overweight for the Mexican food, you become emaciated, you lose your teeth, you lose your health, and you die from those fleshly things. We get that. But nothing that has gone into the mouth or lungs or veins has the capacity to remove us from God. If someone's going to indulge in those, they're wrecking themselves, and they could divert them. But bottom line, Jesus said what goes into the mouth doesn't corrupt a man. It's what comes out of the mouth, and that's what's in the contents of the heart. So religion becomes, as Marx rightly said, the opiate of the masses. It becomes the drug of choice by which we hide ourselves and escape responsibility. Drugs and food and things like that can take away our liberty and they come with unsightly costs. Ones that most people or many people will say, you know, I've been overdoing it a little bit on the food. I've been overdoing a little bit on the alcohol. I got to cut back on that. But the cerebral chains, the ones of the heart, the religions, most people don't. They just remain addicts. 
They just remain in that addiction for their whole life, believing that is the most secure place to hide from responsibility and to supposedly feel some freedom. The philosophies and religions of man, the unsightly effects reside so deeply in the heart that only the most ardent seekers of truth are able to flee from their powerful effects. Remember, to leave religion, the religion of your youth, institutional religion, the ideas and doctrines that you have been inculcated with, is not one bit different than letting go of heroin or some other drug. It's the same thing. The same receptors in our brain are receiving this type of thing. And we resist departure for the exact same reasons we resist leaving other prisons. We fear the world outside of it because we could be wrong and our choice would be therefore reflective to God and there we could be wrong and we could experience hell so we're fearful or we're too lazy to choose another alternative. We've built our entire life on being this, a Mormon or a Catholic or a Baptist. We've always done that. My family's done that. Everyone does it. I don't want to rewrite the book. I'm too lazy. Or we really love what the institution gives to us and benefits us by, and so we continue to indulge in it. In this last sense, we can see that it's our selfishness that reigns when it comes to the prisons that we choose. We remain because it serves our needs rather than departing uh, to something that serves other or God. Let me be perfectly clear. I am convinced that at the end of the line, every single person on earth will be held responsible to God for what they allowed to imprison them, myself included. I am responsible for the things that I chose to imprison me. I am simultaneously convinced that those few be there that find it souls out there who have willingly chosen to become sold out slaves to Christ Jesus, sold out for him, no other prisons. I'm not gonna do anything else. I'm going to be, let Christ Jesus be my master. They are his children and they are joint heirs with Christ after this life. I can say all of this and we're gonna wrap this up by simply looking at the life of his son. Let's look at what he did. Was he born into a world of religion? He absolutely was, perhaps the most religious. Were those religious tenets uh, of man? Many of them were of men. Did he receive and live them to please men? No, he absolutely turned from man-made religion and he made his allegiance to his master, who was God. He did not fear life without those religious tenets and all that it offered him. He was willing to live alone with his relationship to God. And he turned from the traditions, the people in power, and did the will of the Father instead. He certainly was not too lazy because he spent most of his time resisting all of that man-made religion. And he certainly did not use the religion to feed himself or cover him in luxury or comforts. The Sanhedrin didn't buy him a condo over off the uh, Sea of Galilee and they didn't send him on vacation trips to get away so he could rest up. No, the Son of Man had no place to rest his head. He was the epitome of one who sought God in spirit and in truth at all costs. But did you notice something very important in this discussion of freedom? Jesus was a slave. 
He was an absolute, utter slave to God. I can say that because Jesus only did his will. That's what a slave is, someone who does the will of the master. And he was a slave completely to God, willingly the author and finisher of our faith, a bondservant. He chose every minute of every day of his existence to do the will of his master and his master alone. And having accomplished this with perfect devotion, like none of us could, he wiped away all of our failures to do the same, which is sin, and he's the only remaining truly viable form of bondage that is available in this world because of how he did it. So the solution to all earthly prisons, all earthly forms of bondage is bondage to Christ. Bondage to Christ Jesus, like it or not. Speaking prophetically of his coming as the great liberator of the world, Isaiah said this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison door to them that are bound. Are you free? Have you been liberated? Whatever holds you bound he has the capacity to set you free, to give you liberty, for there is freedom available in him and him alone. But you have to want it. You have to be willing to choose to let go of the earthly material traps and chains and to accept him. Listen, not only as savior from sin, not only as savior, yes, he's our savior, but not only as your savior, but as your Lord as your master. When he becomes that, not just, oh, he saved me, he saved me, he paid for all my sins, thank you. But now you're also my Lord and master. We move from allowing us to be imprisoned by the things of this world and we move ourselves into being imprisoned by him and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Religions of men and their institutional approaches have no right no right to insert themselves between the believer and him. But they do. They have no right to step in there and say, well, now in his name, you must do this. Now in his name, you must do that. Now for him, you must do. They have no right. We have the Holy Spirit in us. He's our master. No intermediary. That's where subjective Christianity comes into play. They try. They claim the right. They claim that... They, they want to be the one you serve, even in his name, but he came to set us free from them. Free from that. Not to put us back into it. He's Lord, not drug, not money, not government, not religion, him and him alone. You want to be free, truly free. Free from the confines and chains and prisons. Everything else under the sun will put you in. Accept him as your master. Your real master, not just your savior. He overcame sin so you can be free from the bondage of sin. He overcame religion so you can be free from religion. He overcame darkness and Satan and evil so you can be free from them. He overcame death so you can be free from the fear of death. He overcame, listen, he even overcame you. He overcame, overcame your flesh so you don't even have to fear your failures. He overcame everything so you don't have to walk around fearing what you're capable of doing. 
You look to him and let him be the master. Everything else is a counterfeit, hear me clearly, and we're all responsible for the counterfeits we receive, embrace, and allow ourselves to become prisoners to. When I say become slaves, I mean the things we serve. Jesus said in John 8, 34, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's your master. That's your master. It's simple as that. Doesn't mean we won't sin, but will we serve it is the question. Can't decide between money and Jesus? Listen to what he said about it. No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible to do two. Justify things all you freaking want. You can have your liberty. You can delude yourself for as little as long as you desire. But in the end, we will be responsible for whom we served. Think you can love God and the world at the same time? 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Want to please men? You want to make men happy? Make them want to like you? We want to serve them? Paul said in Galatians 1.10, for I do not persuade men, or do I persuade God? Or do I seek to please men? Listen to what he said. For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Listen to that. If I pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. The facts remain. As long as we exist, we will serve someone or something. We are condemned to be free because we are always free to choose who we will serve. And we are all responsible before God whom we choose to serve, to be slaves to, and to receive as our master. So why Jesus? Why pick him? Why accept him over money and food and sex and philosophy and science? Let me quote Jesus himself for the answer. He said in John 8, 36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free in Deed. That's his promise. Does that mean you'll be free from human slavery and human difficulties and, and poverty and ill health? No. But you will be free indeed. You will not be free from physical things that are mandated in this flesh. You will be put in jails wrongly or rightly. You will suffer from hunger. You will suffer pain. You will even die but you will be free in the fact that while you're indentured and imprisoned in your flesh, our minds are set free in our hearts and are set upon his kingdom and him as our king. That is the way we escape. That is why he is the source of all freedom. With this being the case, a true believer can even be wrongly accused, put in prison for life, starved, beaten, and put on a chain gang, and have more liberty in them than an atheist who is eating grapes from scantily clad women and laying on a bed of money. The freedom comes from within with Christ Jesus. The liberty he offers transcends all counterfeits. With him as Lord and Masters, we see clearly through the game. We see clearly through the lies, the promises made to the flesh, and we are indeed free. If you don't know the Lord and King and want to truly be free, 
ask him to be your master, to save you from your sin. Receive the call that is going out to all people all the time. If you know him, but you're straddling the things of this world and its ways, I quote scripture, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. It's not fleshly service. It's with the heart and mind and soul. Religion appeals to the flesh and to fleshly service. Kill that beast and run to the only being who can set you free. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. We have Tom in Carthage again. We have Mark in Ireland. We'll come back after you consider this. Because Christian laws are written on the hearts of believers. And believers are independently under the influence of God through the Holy Spirit. And because all beliefs are, in the end, between God and the individual, Christianity is entirely subjective, which leaves believers with the freedom to share Jesus and to love. Last week we had a caller, uh, I think his name was Roger, and he asked a question about serving in the temple day and night from Ezekiel's vision. We had an LDS emailer named Sam Mueller in his email uh, write, and it said, you began to answer Roger's question about people serving in the temple day and night, quote, that's a quote from Ezekiel's vision. I get the impression that you said this was fulfilled before Jerusalem was destroyed, Please finish your answer by telling me if people did serve both day and night in the temple, and if so, where's your source for that? Well, I'll finish my statement right now before we take our two calls. If there is no biblical evidence that people served in the temple day and night prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, it does not mean that that preterist view is incorrect. In other words, if a great deal of information about the preterist view is supported by Scripture, but some of it is not included, that doesn't make it incorrect. Nevertheless, that's not the case here. Uh, I do have proof that they were serving in the temple day and night before the destruction of Jerusalem. All you got to do is open up the book of Luke. This is what it says in chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of all those who were looking for redemption of Jerusalem. So there's your answer. Ezekiel prophesied that they would be serving day and night in the temple. The caller who was LDS believed that that needed some kind of explanation, and I didn't have it at my hand. Samuel wanted to know where it was. Samuel, Luke 2, 36 through 38. Let's take uh, Tom from, uh, well, let's go to uh, Mark in Ireland. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you doing? What's the crack, Sean? You well? How you doing, Mark? I, I, I'm all right. Um, first of all, thank you for the, um, for the email. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'll get down to the reason I called. Um, I, I, I went, to, um, went to church the past couple of weeks. Um, I had read um, 
just, just one line in, in the Book of Mormon, and it said, feast upon the words of Christ. And I sat for the, for the last couple of weeks waiting for the opportunity to feast on the words of Christ. And the opportunities were very few. Um, there was home teaching, there was um, youth activities, and, and so on and so on. And very little opportunity to, 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 to really find something and, and, and run with it. And I, I, I kind of got to thinking about the people that left the church and what happens to them and the reasons they leave the church. And there are very, very few who leave the church. Actually, I, I can't think of anybody, but I've seen a lot of people leave the church. There are very few who leave because they're not fulfilled. Yeah. And unlike America, there's no Sean McCraney over here. There's no... Thank goodness. There, there, there are no... I can't find people who don't have an alternative agenda, who, who are just there to feast upon the words of Christ and to get to know God and Christ and to get to, to love him and to want to know him and what he wants for us. And people who leave the church, they either do one of two things. They go back to the, the previous um, belief system, the main one in Ireland, which is Catholicism. And in Catholicism, it's, it's all very relaxed these days, so you can have your couple of smokes, couple of drinks, you know, you do whatever you do. Or else they go into another tight belief system. Um, like... Um, there's, there's a, an unbranded Christian fellowship and they're out all the time pushing um, you know leaflets and pamphlets on you and trying to kind of hook you in but there's a in my experience so far and I, I'm calling you now all year there's a famine on this land for the actual true teachings of Christ. The consistent, non-stop, that there's, that there's always an agenda in there somewhere. I, I was, just on, on tonight, I was told by the bishop one time that he wanted me to date somebody, some woman. And I, I, while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, don't I have free, where, where's my free agency gone in all this? The, the, the very church who champions free agency. Where's, where's my free agency in this? Where's my free agency in, in uh, this home teaching that you have to do, this uh, calling that you have to take, these talks that you have to give? Yeah. And you, uh, slowly and surely your, 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 your free agency is, is whittled away from you. And I now understand that I'm sabotaged. No matter what I do, if I stay in the church, I know it's not the right thing for me. If I leave, I'm a man on the island with only one set of beliefs. There is no Sean McCraney. You're Sean. Or, you're yeah, go, you're go Sean McCraney, Mark. You're, 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 we're all the same. There's, there, there, I'm just like you. Everyone who's sitting here and watching tonight, we're all the same. We are alone in our relationship with Christ. We seek for truth. And when we've come out of Mormonism, we have a pretty sharp eye and we start when we start to get manipulated. Mm -hmm. And so we're all pretty much in the same boat. 
So, so you, what do you, do? you be the guy over them? there. You keep it going. What do you do then? If you're, if you're the only guy and you, you, you've, you've just kind of woken up over the last couple of months and realized, if I leave this church, I, I'm just a man banging a drum. Yeah, that's what, they, that's, what, that's what darkness wants you to believe. But you go and you equip yourself in the Word of God and you, and you follow the Lord Jesus in love and faith and you see where He leads you and you start something going over there in Ireland and God will bless it as He leads you, Mark. Don't, that's what we're all, we're all in the same boat. We're all parts of the body of Christ. Okay, it, th- th- that's true enough, but it, it's, it, everything is relative. You can say that, and you've got, you know, and this is just a, you know, plucking a figure out here. You've got roughly maybe a hundred people around you, all nodding and agreeing with you. I've got nobody here. They're all asleep around me right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? No, I know, but you know, when I started, I was banging the drum on a, on a, like all of us. We were all banging the drum alone, and most of us still do. We, everywhere we go in this state, you're, you're pretty much alone. You know, you run into people, and yeah, there, there's a community of Christians, and it's good and everything, but it's a solitary walk when you're with Christ in many ways. And so don't give up hope. You just let God prepare you first, and, and He will, and carry on. All right, listen, I, I know you have other callers waiting, um, but again, I just want to thank you for, 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 for your heart and for your just for being there because, you know, the, the people don't know that we, we, we talk back and forth in emails and so on. Um, so just thanks for being there and thanks just for reading someone I can sign off to every once in a while. Thanks, Mark. We love you. Again in a couple of months. Okay, you take care of yourself. Okay, bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Hey, you know, uh, get, get out there and let the Lord use you as, he, as you're led. If you never bring anybody to him, but you are doing what he's caused you to do. That's all that matters is you're doing what he wants you to do. We pray for Mark over there. and We pray that we can be united together as a body as we continue to reach people who are leaving Mormonism uh, primarily because that's what the ministry has always been about and then other religions. We're going to go to uh, Tom and Carthage and that would not be Carthage, Illinois. Uh, Tom, you called in last week. What's up? I'm good. How you doing? All right. Um, first of all, I just wanted to congratulate you on um, finding Christ, although you was a Mormon for 40 years. Thank you. <laughs> sorry, I was listening. I was actually watching the video, and you're not on there. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, 40 years is a long time to be, you know, in the Mormon church and to be able to come out of it the way you did. I know I have a lot of problems myself being in a, in a Protestant background and trying to decipher some of the things like it's really difficult for me to say, okay, is this really the truth or is this just the teaching of somebody else that I'm following? Yeah. And it's very difficult sometimes to get away from that. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I'm still having problems with, uh, for instance, believing that hell is not eternal. That's yeah. a big one for me. Um, well, it may not be. I mean, we have to, the thing is not whether this stance or that stance is right. There's, it's just that there's evidence for all these stances, and we have to be willing to allow ourselves to consider them and embrace them and believe them if we want, but love each other. I could be wrong on many things I, I, I teach, 
And of course, pastors, we teach things the way we see them, but we should be saying, I could be wrong, and there are other views out there that other people consider as viable or more. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense to me. I mean, you would be surprised how many churches I went through in the, or went to in the past, and uh, everyone I go to, they all want to save me, Sean. They want to save me because I, have, I walk in, I have long hair and a beard, I ride a motorcycle. Well, this guy just must be needing to be saved. And it uh, couldn't be further from, from the truth. I've known Jesus Christ for a long time. He's my Lord and Savior. If it wasn't for him, I have a kidney disease. And before long, I'll be going on dialysis, kidney transplant, and soon after that, probably death. But um, that only means I get to see Jesus a little sooner than I expected. Amen. Um, fortunately for me, I'm, you know, I know Christ is my Savior, and I know that when that time comes for me that I don't have to worry about what's on the other side. Praise God. Um, and so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and gosh, I guess that's about it. <laughs> keep your beard, keep your hair, my brother, unless God tells you otherwise. Right. You would be surprised how many people come to me when I'm out on the road, people seem, that's what I wanted to share most of all, Sean, is that um, some people come to me because they don't know my relationship with God. And it, it's helped me to give them, uh, to, wit to witness to them. It's, it's helped me to witness to them. Yeah. Whereas they would be scared of talking to somebody else, they, I seem to be more approachable. That's right. And I think that's a big thing, you know, and, and, uh, that's I, a really big thing, that's Tom. And that's like Paul said, he becomes all things to all men that he might preach Christ to some. And that's it, man. I mean, that's the reason I do most of the stuff I do and how I look, although it is this the way I am, but I've added tattoos and stuff just so that I can get to those people who would otherwise think, yeah, I'm not talking to any, any Mormon out here and I'm not going to talk to any uh, uber religionist who insists on me wearing a tie. So I've done the same thing and I get it. And that's who Jesus came for, the same crowd. So keep going, Tom. Right. Well, thank you, Sean. Love you, brother. Love you too. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Will in Casper, Wyoming. Will, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. How you doing? Good. Um, I am calling for the first time. I just wondered if I could get some advice from you. I'll try. I am in the process of leaving the church. Okay. Um, can you speak, Will, can you speak up? Yeah. Thank right. you. Um, I'm in the process of leaving the church and I just needed some suggestions on, on kind of where to go from here. I'm having a hard time uh, being excited about anything religious and and still having a hard time getting closer to Christ. You know, if you had any suggestions on I do. Something I could read or visit or I do. And Will, what I wanna do, Bishop Earl, come up here. I wanna I wanna do a, a tag team here with you. We have Bishop Bill Earl here who came out of the Mormon church. He's a former LDS bishop and uh and Will, he loves the Lord. And, and so I'm going to put you on the spot, Earl. 
Uh, he's been put on the spot before by me. Uh, but uh, Will is asking, one more time really quickly, Will, advice. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time um, getting into anything religious right now. Um, and and having a hard time finding my way to Christ. Oh, Will, um, what a challenge. Um, you know, you, you get... You believe the church is true, and when you find out it isn't, uh, you haven't developed a relationship with Jesus and with God. And so my first suggestion, I thought Sean was going to say this, is grab your Bible, start reading it, find a Bible study, find a good non-denominational church, and uh, go to some of the websites, hotm.tv, uh, utlm.org, for some of the questions you have, MRM, IRR. There's a whole bunch of resources that you have to give you some hope and some courage in making the challenging decision that it is to, to leave the church and hopefully find Christ. Excellent. Okay. Oh, and don't forget ex-Mormon files. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Will, for that shameless plug. Where can Will find ex-Mormon files? On the, on, on the website, or on, on that website, exmormonfiles.com exmormonfiles.com check that out because uh, uh bishop earl or earl as he wants to be known now he interviews people all the time in your position will and you can hear their story on what they've done in coming out and it might really help you out okay and they've all found christ too which is a great thing about those interviews thanks earl and uh, one more question yes um, and my wife is still a believer is there some kind of resources or something that, that maybe she could use to, to uh, kind of work her way through this transition as well? Is she willing, is she willing to read the things you give her? Um, yes and no, depending on how it's written. Okay. Uh, a book that you might consider right off the top of the bat that comes to my mind is Grant Palmer's An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. Grant Palmer's An Insider's View of Mormon Origins. He's an LDS seminary uh, uh, teacher, and he, uh, it's a very, very professional, not condescending uh, book that just gives you the facts about the restoration of the priesthood, first vision, things like that. Also, Will, if you'll stay on the uh, line after we uh, disconnect, I will, uh, we'll make sure that we send you out some uh, materials from us and you can also go to UTLM to fortify yourself. That's Sandra Tanner's site. And then the things that uh, Bishop Earl said, uh, you can always look at those as well. Okay. So stay on the line, my brother, and, and then uh, one of the operators will pick it up and get your information. All right. I just appreciate everything you're doing. You've really helped me a lot. To well, praise God, my brother. Where I'm wrong and hopefully where I'm going. So. Don't, don't uh, try. I mean, I'm sorry to say don't, but if you can leave yourself open completely flayed open to god and don't trust me and don't trust your pastor or your bishop or men they're going to do their best but we all but he, god will come and talk with you will and he loves you as much now as he did when you were lds you've seen the light he will lead you to his truth, which is his son. And once that really takes form in your heart, you will never be the same. And that's the good thing about 
the interviews that Bishop Earl does with those people who are ex-LDS is they've all come to a relationship with Christ instead of going to atheism or some other ism. Okay. Thanks, my brother. Hang on the line. Hey, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, hold. Where's hold? Oh, here's hold. Okay. A uh, few minutes left. A quick... Um, uh, let's see if I'll read that. No. Um, this is from Jean in Canada. My mind is exploding. I have been enjoying your videos for some time. I lived in Utah a while. Many family members are devout LDS. I came to understand fully eschatology maybe 15 or 16 years ago just through my own Bible study. I was thrilled and, uh, to eventually find others of like mind on something called Pal Talk. I have studied some of Don Preston's books and could not believe that he is going to be visiting you. I, will, I wish I could come from British Columbia, uh, Vancouver. Uh, great things ahead. And then he just adds as a side note, P.S. Our family lived in Murray, Utah uh, in 1963, the year JFK was assassinated. Historical note. In the early 1970s, Ted Bundy picked up a girl in Murray. She was the only one to escape. Take care, keep up the good work. As Don says, we'll see on the flip side. Gene points out something really important here. One of the main reasons I believe God opened my eyes to preterism, and Gene mentions this in a phone call that he left on our machine, is that it's in our work with the LDS, this is really monumental. If we, and more and more people are talking about it, if we could come together and realize that this has some great merit uh, uh, backed by the Bible, we could more, maybe more universally use this as the Christian stance of eschatology, and it will shut the door on Joseph's mistaken views on the whole thing. Right now, much of evangelical Christianity shares a commonality with Mormonism on eschatology. If we could just get rid of the, of the muck and just clearly see what it says, um, I hope that uh, that would happen because it would really help in the Mormon Christian debate. Speaking of that, Don K. Preston is going to be here. We have a little uh, thing here for you. September 11th and 12th, Friday night, 7 to 9, Saturday morning, uh, 9 to 11. Refreshments served. It's free. It's non-confrontational. Uh, we ask anybody who's in the vicinity to come tune in to. I think we'll be streaming it. i got to ask Seth and Merle. And uh, check in to see what and call him with your questions and find out, ask him the hard stuff that you've always wondered about within times. And uh, join us, Don K. Preston, then. One final thought. If ever Jesus was going to come back, it seems like it's going to be in September. Uh, <laughs> the information I'm getting sent to me and the mathematics that are going on here, Richard gave me this, I mean, it's all these mathematics and all these events and all this stuff saying how the Shemia and the Rosh Hashanah and the Shemitah and the Congress and the sabbatical year and the Jewish Sanhedrin and Obama and this star is coinciding with that and dogs and cats are living together and all sorts of stuff. If ever he was coming back, it's going to be between September 1st and September 30th. That's what it seems like. If he doesn't, can we agree that maybe we've misunderstood all this and maybe we ought to take another look at it? 
I'm just betting that we're going to still be here October 1st. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the 